الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على عبد الله ورسوله نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين سورة الأعديات is a surah about which the scholars differ whether it is Makkiya or Madaniya. And the majority said that it is a surah that is Makkiya. Makkiya. And it's reported from Ibn Mas'ud and it's one of the two opinions reported from Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhumah. Now some of the scholars said that it is Madaniya. And usually, we talk about this Makkiya, Madaniya, how do we classify the surah, was it revealed in Mecca, was it revealed in Medina? And, and usually it doesn't have too much of an effect on the tafsir of the surah itself. But this is one surah where the tafsir is quite strongly affected by whether it is Makkiya or Madaniya, or there are changes in the tafsir of the surah according to the different opinions that were taken. And the reason for that is that the surah talks about al-adiyat. And al-adiyat are horses, specifically steeds of war. Those horses that they would rush at the enemy and they would ride them at very, very high speed into the enemy camp. Uh, usually, as we're going to hear, subahan just before the time of Fajr, or at the time of Fajr, and they would do a dawn raid, riding their horses in the enemy camp. Now, all this talk about dawn raids, and the enemy camp, and horses of war, makes you think of al-jihad fi sabilillah, jihad for the sake of Allah. However, jihad for the sake of Allah was only legislated in the Madani period. In the Madani period. So that led some of the scholars to say that this surah is Madaniya. It was revealed in Medina because it talks about the horses of war and it talks about attacking the enemy at dawn and it talks about the sparks that fly up from the hooves of the horses as they, uh, you know, the, they gallop towards the enemy. That is something that was, for the Muslims, was only experienced in Medina. However, what we say about this is that in reality, this surah, inshallah, is Makkiyah. And this issue of the steeds of war, the horses of war, is something that was known to the Arabs since records began. They were more than aware of, uh, of the horses of war, of fighting that took place on horseback, they held great pride in their Arabian steeds, their Arabian horses that they would fight uh, on horseback with. So there's no need to say that this was something unknown to the Arabs until the Muslims moved to Medina. It was something the Muslims didn't experience as Muslims until Medina, but it wasn't necessarily something that was unknown to the Arabs. However, there's a, a counterpoint to that which says that, well, when the Arabs used to fight each other on horseback, they used to fight, and when they used to raid each other's camps and what have you, they were not doing something praiseworthy to Allah. So how could Allah Azza wa Jal 
make a qasam, swear an oath by something that wasn't praiseworthy to him. In reality, we need to go back to a principle. And that is that how we distinguish whether a surah is makiyah or madaniyah shouldn't be based on the content of the surah, to be honest. The content of the surah might be an indicator, it might help us to understand, but it should be based on a narration, it should be based on evidence. And actually, when we uh, look at this, we actually can make a number of points as to how this surah could be makiyah, it could have been revealed in Makkah. The first one is that the, the, the horses that fight in war, the horses that are ridden into war, the, the steeds of war, those Arabian horses that were so well known for their ability to very, very quickly uh, move into the enemy camp and to spin around so quickly and move around so quickly with the people on the horseback, that they were such effective tools of war. This is something that was known to the Arabs and the Arabs took great pride in it. And so there is no, that's the first point we mentioned, there's no reason why that could not be mentioned. Second of all, from among the prophets before were those who rode horses into war. We've spoken about Suleiman salam, the story of Suleiman salam, and others from the prophets. So there is no reason why we couldn't even refer this back to the time of the, the prophets also. It could also be an indication of the future because Allah speaks about things that will happen in the future and things that happened or, or in terms of the time of revelation were happening in the future. So it may be that Allah tells of the future of the Muslims who would ride these steeds of war into the enemy camp. Um, so there is no issue uh, or there is no need uh, for this to necessarily mean that the surah was only revealed in Medina because this only happened to the Muslims in Medina. Rather, the, the, the stronger opinion is that this surah is makiya. And here is where we have another kind of a different way of approaching it, which actually became quite problematic. And that is that some of the scholars actually went away from the whole concept of the horses here. And they said, because this surah is makiya, and that's what the strongest evidence is, and it couldn't have been talking about the horses, we said that's not true. But they said it couldn't have been talking about the horses. So they started interpreting it as, it, as referring to camels, uh, as referring to parts of the hajj, i.e. the hajj that was uh, prior to it being an obligation in Islam. And as we'll see, that tafsir becomes quite complicated and quite burdensome to follow. So what we said is the simple answer is that it refers to the horses of war and that there's no reason why it wouldn't, even though the Muslims hadn't experienced this as Muslims, it could be referring to what was going to happen in the future. It could be referring to the, the greatness of those animals and the greatness of them being used in that way uh, in the sight of Allah Azza wa Jal, which is something known to the Arabs. And it also could be something referring to the previous nations and the prophets and the righteous who also fought on horseback. So there is no reason why it can't refer to any of those things, insha'Allah ta'ala. So Allah begins the surah, And Allah swears here, the wow is lil qasam. Allah swears an oath. And as for us, we only swear by Allah We're only allowed to say, Wallahi, I swear by Allah. Tallahi, I swear by Allah. 
But Allah Azza wa Jal swears by whatever He wishes from creation, but there is one condition. Al-Qasam la yakunu illa bimu'affam. Allah Azza wa Jal only swears by something which is great in His eyes. And this shows the greatness of the horses that were used in war in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those that are adiyah fi sabilillah. Those that attack. And adiyah here, adiyah here, it means that they are running fast. They are charging, if you like, uh, galloping. And these horses that are galloping into war fi sabilillah, this is something huge in the sight of Allah, something great in the sight of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And as we said, it was something that was azim عند al-Arab. It was something that was considered to be magnificent, even in the sight of the Arabs in general, that they considered this to be something magnificent. And they took great pride in raising uh, these horses, in training these horses, and in fighting on them. This was a source of great pride. And they took great pride in the Arabian breed. They took great pride in the Arabian breed of horses. And that these horses were among the best of all horses prepared for war fighting and, and for raids. They were extremely quick and extremely, uh, they, they even described, some of the scholars wrote books on the topic of the Arabian horse and its virtues and uh, its character and the different parts of the horse and so on. And one of the things that they said is that its speed of movement, the fact that it could quickly charge and then quickly seem to flee and then suddenly turn on the person that, that it was seeming to flee from, and then the, the, the rider would appear with a spear or with a sword and would strike back at the person. So there was, it was, they were really considered to be among the greatest and uh, the most noble of horses. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by them. And that is also a sign of the fadl, the virtue of horse riding, the virtue of the horses, the virtue of the Arabian breed particularly, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by these horses that charge al-adiyat, they are charging, uh, and that they charge fi sabilillah, they charge out for the sake of Allah So it's not for the sake of recreation or for the sake of fun, but for the sake of making the word of Allah the highest and the word of those who disbelieve the lowest. And that is part of, or that is what makes it great in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. As for the theme of the surah in general, the surah talks about the situation of mankind. Talks about the situation of mankind if that person and those people don't have iman, they don't have faith, and how they have al-kufran, how they are in a state of ingratitude, and how the nature of man is to be stingy and to be attached to wealth and to be attached to the worldly life and not to think about what is going to come in the next life, that is all part of the theme of the, of the, uh, of the surah. Kufranu ni'mah, rejection of Allah's blessings, walhirs al-mal, how keen people are to, to gain their wealth and to hold on to it. And that this is kind of the nature of people if they don't correct their character through Islam and Iman. Wal'adiyati dabaha. So al-adiyat, we said, uh, it refers to al-khayl, 
refers to the horses that are adia. They are charging. Uh, and they're running very, very fast. They're charging. So they, and this is how they would attack the enemy. It's how they would attack the enemy at dawn, as we're going to come to, that they would be uh, running at a very, very fast, or galloping at a very fast pace. This is Al-Adiyah. So what is Dabha? What is Dabha? Dabha here refers to the sound that comes from the horse when the horse is, is kind of worked up and the horse is charging like that and they, they get the horses ready and then they, they cause the horses to gallop at high speed and a sound comes from the horse. So here Dabha refers to the sound that comes from uh, the horse when the horse is galloping at that very high speed and it has been that the rider has kind of caused that horse to charge. There is a sound that comes from the chest of the horse or it comes from the throat of the horse. And that sound, I don't know if we call it, it might be called whinnying, but in any case, it's a sound that comes from the horse when the horse uh, gallops and when the horse charges. That is the sound, uh, that is what is meant by وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبَحَا And this description of الْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبَحَا it is like the scholars say, in Akmali Awsaf al Khair. It's one of the most, uh, it's one of the best characteristics of the horse. And ultimately, all these people that kept horses in the time of the Prophet, وسلم, in the time of the Arabs, uh, at that, who, who, the Arab tribes who lived at that time, and they all kept horses. Why did they keep horses? They didn't keep horses for a, you know, a little canter in the park or a hack or something like that. They kept horses for war. They kept horses to charge. They kept horses to, to gallop at high speed at their enemy. They kept horses for those horses to be al-adiyati dabha. That's why they kept the horses. And that's why they took such pride in the horses that they kept. And that they were faster than the camels. They were faster than the other riding animals that they had and they were able to charge an enemy and, and strike fear into the enemy. And so this uh, was considered to be one of the most, the best and the most perfect characteristics that the horse had. And that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swears by it in this surah, Surah Al-Adiyat. It's also uh, traditional that the horse would be the one that was used for in the surprise attacks. And that's another concept of wal'adiyati dabaha, that the horse would be the one used in the surprise attacks. When, uh, you know, just before the dawn, when people were maybe sleepy or not really coming out of their house, not really on guard, not really alert, and they would attack them at very high speed with horses. That's one of the things that the horse was known for. Like they call it um, sort of attacking or surprising the enemy. As for fighting on camels, this was known when there was a lot of travel involved, when there was, uh, uh, when the, the battle was very far away and long distances were to be traveled, because generally you don't typically travel very long distances on horseback without at least uh, changing the horse or without at least, uh, you know, having more than one horse to travel on. But the camels are capable of traveling on very long distances. So here, when, for example, when Allah Azawajal said, فَمَا أَوْجَفْتُمْ عَلَيْهِ مِنْ خَيْلٍ وَلَا رِكَابٍ That you 
didn't, to, Allah talks about the, 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 the war booty. He said that you didn't need any khayl or any rikab. You didn't need any horses and you didn't need any camels. You didn't need any horses, you didn't need any camels. Horses meaning you didn't attack your enemy suddenly and rapidly and surprise them and then take that war booty. And you didn't travel a long distance in order to, you know, on the back of camels in order to get that war booty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave it to the Prophet without any need for the horses or for the camels. So the concept here is that the horses was the concept of attacking the enemy quickly and with a surprise attack and striking fear into them. And the camels was the concept of traveling a long distance to meet the enemy, generally speaking. Now, now that we're talking about uh, camels, there are some of the scholars who, as we said, they said uh, that Al-Adiyati uh, or Wal-Adiyati refers to the camels. Refers to, refers to the camels and not the horses. And in all honesty, it seems, and Allah knows best, it seems and it appears, and Allah knows best, that this isn't the clear tafsir of the surah. The surah is clearly referring to the horses, but that the, the camels were kind of given as an alternative tafsir because of this problem of the Makki and the Madani uh, surah. And if it was in Makkah, then how could it refer to horses when the Muslims didn't fight on horses until they got to Medina? And it, it kind of complicates the tafsir in reality because a lot of the descriptions mentioned in the beginning of the surah don't really easily apply to camels. You can't really see how they would apply to camels. For example, وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَ Okay, the camels can be adiyat. The camels can be adiyat. They can charge at the enemy. That's possible. But the word ضَبْحَ here is the noise, like we said, perhaps the whinnying, or I don't know if there's a better word, the noise that a horse makes when it is galloping at high speed that camels don't make that noise. So they started to say, well, maybe tabaha, it means tadbah uh, and not tadbah. Maybe there's a letter that actually means another letter. And it becomes quite complex and quite burdensome to make that tafsir. So that's why we're going to say really that also the camels charging at the enemy the question is, what enemy were the camels charging at then? Because there also wasn't an enemy in the time of Makkah. So really, it becomes problematic. Again, some of them said it's talking about when they charged from Arafah to Muzdalifah or from Muzdalifah to Mina during the days of the Hajj and, and they would all kind of travel at a high speed. But it really doesn't, it's very, very burdensome in a way to make that tafsir involving the camels. And it makes much more sense to say that, it that and Allah knows best, to say that it refers to the horses and then to say that that doesn't matter if those horses were not ridden by the Muslims until Medina. It was well known to the Arabs. It was well known to the Prophet and his companions. And it was something they later on experienced in uh, Medina. As for the word Dabha, uh, we said that the correct is that it's the sound that comes from the horse when it gallops at high speed and charges towards the enemy. And it's a sound that comes either from the chest or from the throat of the horse. And uh, here, some of, them other, some of them had other opinions. Some of them said that uh, it means to move. It's a kind of 
a kind of gut, like for example, Dabaha refers to the galloping itself, or uh, that Dabaha refers to the hooves of the horses and the noise that it makes. Um, and uh, Farahi said that it refers to the breathing of the horse. But as we said, that Ibn Jarir, as Ibn Jarir Tabari, rahimahullah ta'ala, he said that it is a sound that comes from the chest or the throat of the horse when it gallops at high speed. فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha. Again, there are those who continued on the theme of the camel, but we're going we're gonna to actually leave that aside because if we start going into the themes of making the tafsir as though it refers to the camels, it becomes very problematic. So we're just going to stick with the concept that the tafsir refers to the horses, and that is al-adhar. That is what is apparent from the tafsir of this, and it's what makes the most sense. Ibn Jarir actually joined between the two and said it can refer to either the horses or the camels. But as we said, referring to the camels becomes very problematic because there is mention of things that don't exist for camels, like dabha, uh, like uh, as we're going to come in the in the uh, in the the next ayah, falmuriyati qadha, uh, and that also doesn't or is very difficult to apply to camels. So we leave the camel one aside. We're going to stick with the theme of the horses, inshallah ta'ala. وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا الْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا here, it refers to the shoed horse and the sparks that come from the shoe of the horse as it strikes against the stones like flint. So if you imagine if you have two, if you have a, the flint and the together and you, and you strike it, a spark comes, that when those horses would be ridden so fast, that their shoes would strike the stones and set off sparks, like sparks, like fire. Falmuriyat, uh, the muriyat here, uh, as they said, uh, that sharar, the the uh, sparks fly out. Qadha, and these sparks fly out, and it's it's like they 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 have they strike the stones. Qadha uh, here refers to them striking the stones and the sparks are flying as their shoes strike against the stones. The sparks are flying. Now here, that's generally, that's what the most common tafsir of the ayah is. But there are other uh, explanations of, uh, of the ayah. The uh, one of the explanations is that فَالْمُورِيَاتِ qadha. It doesn't refer to the shoes making sparks, but it refers to the fact that the horses are the thing which sparks the war. That they they spark, like we talk about, like uh, starting a war, the start of the war, or, or lighting the fire of war. That they are the first kind of step to starting the fire of war. So it's as though they are the spark which lights the fire of war. That's one opinion. And it's also said that it refers, فَالْمُورِيَاتِ qadha doesn't refer to the horses themselves, but it refers to the riders. And that the riders, when they have finished raiding the enemy camp, they go back, what do they do? When they reach their own camp, they light a fire, they light fires. So that it said that the sparks are the sparks from the fire of the people who ride the horse when they return back to their camp. It's also said, afkar ar-rijal, the planning and the 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 kind of 
uh, thinking that goes behind a strategy, maybe that's a good word, the strategy of the, the sort of the, the generals or whoever it is that is starting the war. Um, all of these are, are, are things that are said. It's also said the tongue, the spark that flies from the tongue and starts the war. So somebody says a word and it starts a war. And this was very famous uh, among the Arabs of old in the time of Jahiliya, that somebody might just say a word, it might start a war. So the, the sort of the, the sparks from the tongue that start uh, a war. But the most apparent is because the whole, because especially because of the fa here. That all of them refer to the horse. And so this refers to the sparks that come from the shoes of the horse as they strike against the stones in the desert. As for Ibn Jarir, ta'ala, he held that all of these are true, that it applies to all of them. It applies to uh, the fact that this, this is the spark which starts the war. It's the, uh, it refers to the fact that the owners of the horses, the riders, they come back from raiding the camp and they go home and then they light the fire in their own camp. It refers to the strategy of the men who plan the war like sparks and so on. And it refers to the tongue and all of these things. Ibn Jarir, he said, you can take all of those. But again, we're going to say that on Allah General's best, it appears that because of the way the surah is the context and the way the ayat come one after another, and the fact that the first ayah refers to the horses and the third ayah refers to the horses, it doesn't really make sense for us to take that second ayah out of that context and give it a different context. Instead, it makes sense for us to uh, keep it as it is and to say that it refers to the sparks that come from the shoes of the horses as they gallop into war. فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha. فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha. So this refers to al-ighārah, waqt al-sabah. And al-ighārah here is al-hujum al-adu, attacking the enemy. Those who swiftly attack the enemy, those who attack the enemy, subha. They attack the enemy at the time of the dawn. And the dawn raid is famous in, in military strategy, right? It's been famous well before the time of the Prophet the strategy of the dawn raid attacking the enemy's camp at dawn in the twilight, just as the, we're not talking about sunrise, we're talking about the time of around the Adhan of Fajr, just before the Adhan of Fajr, that kind of time. That time is a perfect time to attack the enemy. And it's something great in the sight of Allah when it's done for the right reason. And that's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by it, فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha, Those who strike their enemies, or those who attack their enemies, who come down upon their enemies, subha, at the dawn time. At the dawn time. And as we said, the fa here, what it does is, it ties all of the meanings together. وَالْعَادِيَاتِ طَبَحَ فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدَحَ فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ subha, And it ties them all together. So these mughirat, they are the horses that charge against the enemy. They charge against the enemy and they attack the enemy at dawn. And it's narrated from the Prophet ﷺ that around that time of dawn that he would listen for the Adhan of Fajr and if he didn't get hear it then at that time he would launch his attack against the enemy's camp uh, ﷺ. 
then we cause the dust to be, or to rise up. Al-Naqa' here, Al-Naqa' here, or Naqa'a, it is Al-Ghubar, it's the dust. فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ Naqa'a, we stir thereby, or it stirs up thereby the dust. The dust is stirred up or is, is caused to rise up the clouds of dust which rise up from it. Now the question here is the it here. فَأَثَرْنَا بِهِ We cause by it the dust to, be, to, to rise up or to be stirred up, the clouds of dust to come up. Now if you imagine the horses galloping at high speed in the desert, you imagine a big cloud of dust, especially when you talk about war. You imagine a, a, a kind of a, a group of soldiers who are on horseback and then suddenly they charge their horses at the enemy and the horses gallop at full speed in the desert. You imagine all the dust being stirred up from the ground into clouds of dust. That is the meaning here. So the question is, what is the thing that stirs up the dust here? Uh, and there are different opinions from the scholars of tafsir about this. Some of them said, فَأَثَرْنَا بِهِ It means the hooves of the horse. The hooves of the horse kick up the dust or cause the dust to uh, form into these clouds of dust that form from the hooves of, from the, hooves of the horses. It's also said, it's the charging of the horses. فَأَثَرْنَا بِهِ I we cause by the charging of the horses the dust to be stirred up or to be kicked up. So what causes the dust to be kicked up? We said the hooves of the horses or the galloping of the horses or as-subh, the dawn. When the dawn comes, it brings with it the stirring of the dust, which is the, the horses that are, uh, that are uh, charging at that particular time. Or it said that it refers to the place, the place where the horses charge, that when the horses charge that place, it stirs up clouds of dust. And these are all opinions which are relatively, uh, relatively similar. Again, when we talk about, you know, the camels and the issue of people who, who held this tafsir of this surah to refer to the camels, this becomes problematic because the camels don't kick up the same amount of dust that the horses do. So that's also another reason why we continue to say that this refers to the horses. فَأَثَرْنَ بِهِ نَقَعَ Cause it to stir up, stir up the clouds of dust. فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ Here, فَوَسَطْنَ بِهِ جَمْعَ Again, uh, there are some different opinions about what exactly this refers to, even though the words are clear. فَوَسَطْنَا uh, We bring them into the middle or they come into the middle. جَمْعَ As a group. But what is it that refers to it coming into the middle as a group? Again, it said الغبار, The dust. The clouds of dust meet in the middle as a group, I when the enemy charges and the or the enemy rushes to defend itself and the raiders are charging on their horses, they meet in the middle in a cloud of dust. 
uh, it said that it refers to uh, the place where they meet, that they all meet in the center. And it said that it refers to the riders, that the riders, they all meet together as a group uh, in, the, in the center. And it said that it refers to the enemy and the raiders, the, the people who are raiding on the horses and the enemy sort of clashing in the center, with clashing with each other in the center. All of these are also relatively close together in meaning. This is uh, what Allah Azza wa Jal is referring to with the qasam, the oath or the swearing that uh, took place earlier. وَالْعَادِيَاتِ ضَبْحَا فَالْمُورِيَاتِ قَدْحَا فَالْمُغِيرَاتِ صُبْحَا فَأَثَرْنَا بِهِ نَقْعَا فَوَسَطْنَا بِهِ جَمْعَا All of that comes down to this. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُودِ Man is. إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ So this is Allah, was, Allah swore by the horses. Allah swore by the horses that charge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, swore by those who as the horses that strike up the sparks with their hooves, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala swore by those that attack their enemies in the dawn, I, those that are used to attack the enemy at the dawn, those that kick up clouds of dust, and those that where they, they come together and they meet on the battlefield, in, in the center of the battlefield. All of that Allah swore by, and then Allah said, that in other words, this is the reason for the for, for, for the oath. Indeed, mankind is towards his Lord Kanud. Mankind is towards his Lord Kanud. And the word Kanud here it means kafur. It means someone who is extremely ungrateful. And the meaning of being ungrateful here is not necessarily kufr, as in kufr billahi azza wa jal, as in disbelief in Allah, but it's kufr ni'mah or kufr bin ni'mah. It's being ungrateful for Allah's blessings. Now, it could refer to the disbeliever, but here, because it says innal insan, man in general, that it's talking about the nature of mankind and that the nature of mankind is to be ungrateful. And that is something which is mentioned in many, many ayat of the Qur'an. It's repeated in, in many places of the, in the Qur'an with different words to show the ungrateful nature of man if he doesn't or she doesn't correct himself or herself with the proper Islamic character and by filling their heart with iman and obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and avoiding disobedience to Allah azza wa jal then if they don't correct themselves with that, they will always be kanut, kafur, ungrateful. It said that this was one of the languages, or this was this is the word for being ungrateful in uh, a particular uh, tribal usage of Arabic. So Arabic was used by different tribes, and all of those different tribes, they had particular words for things. And the Qur'an brought these different words and used Allah uses these different words in the Quran according to some of the different words that are used by the Arabian, by the different Arabian tribes. And it said that Rabi'ah and Mudar, two of the tribes, they both used the word kafur 
And they both use the word kanud to mean kafur, to mean ungrateful. Uh, some of them, like Al-Hasan, uh, he explained this and he said, يَعُدُّ الْمَصَائِبْ وَيَنْسَى نِعَمَ اللَّهِ He said, the person counts all the bad things that happen to them and forgets all the good. That is the meaning of kanud. That the person, all the bad things that happen to them, they count them. Or oh, this happened to me, then this happened to me, then this happened to me, then this happened to me. All the bad things that ever happened to them, they count them. But they don't remember all the good things that happened. Man is so ungrateful towards his Lord. that he, he counts all the bad things but never thinks about, never thinks about the good things. And that is why when something bad happens to a person, you should really say to that person, just remember all the good things that happen. And just think about Ayyub, for example, السلام, Ayyub, when he, all these difficulties and, and the calamities and trials happen to, to Ayyub, Ayyub would remember that the good times were more than the bad. And even it is mentioned that he wouldn't even supplicate to Allah because he would say that Allah has given me so much good. Allah has given me such good, so much good in terms of the times that I've had the, the blessings that I've had, that I feel shy to complain about the situation that I'm in. And yet that's not the nature of mankind. Unless they correct themselves with the character of Islam and Iman, the situation of mankind is they remember all the bad things that happened. They don't remember the blessings that happened. It's also said about the word kanud that it means rejecting the truth or that it means stinginess or that it means disobedience. And these are all opinions which are not perhaps the main uh, or the most common, but they're all things to bear in mind. Being ungrateful, disobedient, stingy, rejection of the truth. But the main meaning here and the meaning we want to focus on is to be, uh, is un- to be ungrateful. And the way that you get away from being ungrateful is you remember the blessings of Allah Azza wa Jal. Like the statement of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, يَا أَيُّهَا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا اذْكُرُوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ عَلَيْكُمْ O you who believe, remember the blessings of Allah upon you. Remember the blessings of Allah upon you. And the statement of Allah As for the blessings of your Lord, speak about them. When you remember the blessings of Allah this leads you away from, and this is part of what corrects your character so that you're not from the people who are kanud, who are ungrateful. وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ here, there are two different opinions, and both of them are quite strong, so they're both well worth bearing in mind. Indeed, he is, over this, a witness. Who is referred to by he here? Who is the witness? So, there is an opinion that the witness here is Allah, and that is the opinion of the majority of the Mufassirin. إِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ Meaning, إِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٌ Allah is a witness to this. This is the statement of the majority. And there is a qira'a shadha, that means there is a recitation of the Qur'an that is reported as being a recitation, but it doesn't fit the mushaf that we have. So this is what we call the qira'a shadha, a qira'a which is not, uh, we don't, uh, consider it to be part of the Qur'an 
per se, it's not part of the Quran that we recite, but it's reported as being as having been recited at one point or another, and that is uh, Shahid. Indeed, Allah is a witness over this. If a qira'a shadha is authentic, it can be used in tafsir. That's a that's a point of benefit. That if a qira'a shadha, if a Qira'a of the Qur'an which doesn't match the Mus'haf, it's not the standard, it's reported that somebody read it, but it's not like the, it's not the, um, it's not part of the main body of the Qur'an or the main recitation of the Qur'an that we know and we recite normally, then it can be used in tafsir, even if it can't be used to recite as part of the Qur'an, but it can be used in tafsir. So there is a Qira'a, in Allah ala dhalika la shaheed. Indeed, Allah is over this a witness, i.e. that Allah is a witness to the ungrateful nature of mankind. And they said the reason for this is that generally pronouns in Arabic, and this is something which I believe it's worth stopping to think about because it's quite confusing for us uh, because in English it doesn't happen that much. In English usually the pronoun is fairly rigid. You know, who you're, when you say he, it's pretty clear who you're referring to. But Arabic has a lot of flexibility when it comes to pronouns. And there's a lot of times that the pronoun um, is, is changed at one ayah to another ayah to another ayah. And it doesn't mention the, the, who is being spoken about, but it's clear that the pronoun is changing from a person to, or from one thing to another thing. So here, generally there's a principle which is that unless you have a reason to believe otherwise, the pronoun refers to the, 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 the nearest previously mentioned thing. So here, if we look, Who is the first, who is the nearest, if we go backwards, back to the previous ayah, we go backwards, what's the nearest thing that was mentioned. The nearest thing that was mentioned is the Rabb, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inna al-insan li rabbihi, li rabbihi. So the nearest one mentioned is the Rabb. Lakanud wa innahu, wa innahu wa inna Allah, wa inna al-Rabb ala thalika la shaheed. So that was the reason why they held this opinion. Others said, um, as we said, the majority said that it is Allah, it refers to Allah being the witness. Others said that it refers to a person being a witness over themselves. They said that shahid wa innahu ala dhalika la shahid, meaning wa inna al-insana ala dhalika la shahid, that man is a witness over himself as to his ungratefulness. First of all, what does it mean to be a witness over himself? What does that even mean? It's like the statement of Allah that they testify against themselves to their disbelief. And that means that their actions and their statements and their behavior acts like a witness against them. The man is a witness through his actions and his speech and his behavior and his character, he's witnessing his own ungratefulness. He's testifying to his own ungratefulness. It's like you're saying, your actions testify to who you really are. 
your behavior is a test is a testimony or that statement of yours is a testimony to who you really are or a testimony to what you really believe so it's like that to say the insan is shaheed he's a witness against himself i his actions and his statements and his behavior is a witness against himself but we had a principle we had a principle that pronouns usually refer to the nearest mentioned thing so we went backwards we said the nearest mentioned thing is ar-rabb subhanahu wa ta'ala allah is the is the is what is being spoken about the last thing that was spoken about is the rabb so that it should refer to the rabb however there's another principle which is also useful when it comes to pronouns which talks about uh, something called tawhid marji' al-dhama'ir this principle basically says that if there is an ayah talking about something and then another ayah talking about something and then a third ayah and then a fourth ayah still talking about the same thing that the most appropriate thing to do is to, is to interpret the in this example the third ayah in the same way as the first one and the second one and the, and the fourth one. For example, that's just an example. Ayah number one is talking about insan. Ayah number two talking about insan. Ayah number three, we're not sure. Ayah number four talking about insan. Therefore, it makes sense to interpret the third ayah in the same way as the others. In other words, if you've got a bunch of pronouns and all of them refer to something, the one that you're not sure about, it's more deserving to, to carry it or to interpret it in light of the others that came around it, that came before and came after. So if we look at the first ayah, إِنَّ الْإِنسَانَ لِرَبِّهِ لَكَنُوتِ It's talking about the insan. وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَا شَهِيدٍ This is the one we're not sure about. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَا شَدِيدٍ And indeed his love of wealth is severe. So it's a very strong love of wealth. That's also talking about insan. So the first ayah is talking about, about mankind. And the third ayah is talking about mankind. So they said in this case, the second ayah should also be talking about, about mankind. However, here, uh, I think, and Allah knows best, that both of these can be true. And that there, there is no reason why we can't accept both of them. Allah is a shaheed over what the person is doing. Allah witnesses and sees and hears everything that person is doing and how ungrateful they are. Allah knows it and Allah witnesses it and Allah sees it. And also the person is a testimony to their own ungratefulness. They actually testify to their own ungratefulness through their actions and their behavior and their character. And this testimony is what we call al-shahada bilisan al-hal. It's not a testimony with the tongue. It's a testimony by the condition of a person. It's not like you, the person's not actually standing up. Like if it, if it refers to a man or mankind, mankind is not standing up and saying, I bear witness that I'm ungrateful. But his actions are speaking for him. Lisan al-hal. His hal, his condition speaks on his behalf. And that's what it means when they talk about lisan al-hal. Your condition speaks on your behalf. Your condition speaks on your behalf. Your situation speaks for itself, like we say in English. It speaks for itself. So your situation speaks for itself. That's what they said. وَإِنَّهُ عَلَى ذَلِكَ لَشَهِيدٍ His situation 
speaks for him as a witness to how ungrateful he is. And this matches the next ayah. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ That he is to, for his love of al-khayr. Now here is where we have a really important lesson to learn, which is how people can go wrong when it comes to tafsir. And that is that there is consensus that the word khair here doesn't mean good. The word khair here, it means al-mal, bil-ijma'ah. Every scholar of tafsir, they said, the word khair here, it means al-mal, it means wealth. Sometimes somebody might look at it and say, he loves good. Oh, people love good. You know, people have a good nature. Everybody loves to do good things. People love to do good things. And, you know, everyone's got a bit of good in them. That's not what the ayah means. That's not what the ayah means. Because someone could read the ayah as the words without going back to the tafsir of the salaf, the early generations, and they could say that, وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ Or it means that all people love a little love good, all people want good, everyone has good in their heart. But that's not what the ayah means. لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لِحُبِّ الْمَالِ Every one of them loves wealth very much. And again, there are two different tafsir here that we want to focus on. One, which is شِدَّةُ حُبِّهِ لِلْمَالِ And that's the most apparent one. That insan, mankind, has just got this incredible attraction to wealth and just has so much love of wealth and gathering wealth. And the second opinion is that it refers to al-bukhl. It refers to stinginess. It refers to stinginess. And actually, the two of those go together. The, the ayah itself, it indicates that the person loves wealth. And you can use the word shadid also for stinginess here. And that's also true because if you love wealth so much, you will not want to give that wealth. And this is one of the many, many ayat that talk about the virtue or, or that educate us the reality of mankind and wealth. And by that, we understand the virtue of the people who spend their wealth for Allah. Because actually, most people and the nature of, in, of, of, a ma- of mankind is that they are completely attached to their wealth and stingy and they don't want to let it go. They don't want to spend it. They don't want to use it. They don't want to give it to anyone. They spent so long gathering it together. They don't want to let it go. They don't want to let it go. And yet you have some people who are generous. They have trained them their, their souls by the grace of Allah to be generous. That when someone asks them, yeah, of course, go take yeah, no problem, have it. And that person really has completely trained themselves by the grace of Allah to be different to the nature of man. The nature of man is to be stingy, to love wealth, to gather wealth, to be attached to the world. Al-Hakumut-Takafur, we've already spoken about it extensively. Here, another ayah in the same regard. وَإِنَّهُ لِحُبِّ الْخَيْرِ لَشَدِيدٌ has extreme love of wealth. And uh, extreme keenness to hold on to it and extreme stinginess in spending it. What can cure that? Or what is the, when will the person who, like we said, uh, and this is exactly like Al Hakum al Takathur that we've already covered, Al Hakum al Takathur, Hatta Zurtum al Maqabir, you have been, become your hearts have become busy gathering 
everything together until you go to the graves, you visit the graves until you die. Here, the same concept comes up. Has extreme love of wealth. When will that person come to know the reality of the wealth that they gathered? When will that person come to know the reality of the wealth that they refused to spend it for Allah and they held on to it and they had that extreme love for it? Will that person not know? And here the a, here the hamza, it, it's asking a question but it's inkar. It's, say, it's criticizing, it's rebuking the person. Will that person not know? When the graves are overturned, Bu'thira here is to flip something upside down for it's the top to become the bottom and the bottom to become the top for something to be overturned. Will then that person not realize until the time comes when the graves are overturned, I, what is inside of the graves is brought outside. What was inside is brought out on the resurrection. Now here, is It's very, very powerful statement that Allah makes. Allah links between the graves, what is in the graves being brought out, and what is in the chest being brought out. What is in the grave coming out, and what is in the chest coming out. I, what was concealed in the graves becomes apparent. All the bodies that were just bones, that were just dust in the graves, come out as people resurrected. And all of the secrets that you kept inside of your heart, and all of the things that you kept, whether your niyat, your niya, or whether it was evil thoughts, or whether it was sins, or whether it was disobedience, that was hidden from everybody and was hidden inside of your chest, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brings out. He brings out what is in the grave and he brings out what is in the chest. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes out what was hidden from the graves and takes out what was hidden from the chests. And what people and what people wanted to hide from others. So just like Allah will take the bones and the dust from the grave and resurrect mankind, likewise Allah will take out the secrets from the heart and will take out the niyat, the intentions that were in the heart. And one of the things some of the scholars said about this is, they said this is one of the strong evidences that you should only keep good in your heart and or encouragement, not maybe evidence, one of the strong encouragements or that that you should only keep good in your heart. Never ever, you know, keep any kind of secret uh, ill feelings or never ever, you know, fill your heart with disobedience and never ever fill your heart with, uh, with jealousy and with hatred because يوم القيامة, it will come out. Whatever is hidden inside of there, it will come out. أَفَلَا يَعْلَمُ إِذَا بُعْثِرَ مَا فِي الْقُبُورِ وَحُصِّلَ مَا فِي الصُّدُورِ So the graves will be turned, will be turned inside out. The graves will be turned inside out, be scattered out, will be brought out. What was inside and what was hidden will be made open and apparent. And here, 
the scholars of tafsir had different ways of explaining it. They said ubriza wa udhira wa muyiza. They said it is ubriza. It will be, it will become apparent. Udhira, what was hidden will become visible. Muyiza, the distinction will be made. And that was the opinion of Ibn Jarir rahimullah ta'ala. Muyiza, the distinction will be made between those, there'll be a distinction between those whose hearts were pure and sincere and those whose hearts were not. There's going to be distinction made between the hearts, even though we can't perceive the difference between those two hearts, the heart that was sincere and the one that wasn't, we might not be able to see any difference or perceive any difference, but Allah will distinguish between them and Allah will bring out the difference between them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring out the secrets from them. Inna rabbahum bihim Indeed, their Lord is towards them on that day aware of everything. I that Allah Azza wa Jal is aware of everything that they used to do, everything that they used to say, everything that they used to hide, and Allah Azza wa Jal will recompense each person for what they used to do. Allah won't oppress anyone, even an atom's amount or an atom's weight of oppression. Allah will not oppress anyone. Not even the likes of a mustard seed. Allah will not oppress anyone. But Allah Azza wa tells them that on that day, Allah Azza wa knows what they did, knows what they said, knows what was inside of the depth of their hearts. And Allah Azza wa will reward them or punish them accordingly without oppressing anyone. That's what Allah Azza wa made easy for us from to, to mention from Surah Al-Adiyat. And Allah Azza wa knows best. Wassalatu wassalam ala Nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Jazakumullah khairan for watching. Please subscribe, share, and you can visit muhammadtim.com.